Welcome back to I Cry at Work. I'm your host, Carrie Ann Cashon, a burned-out millennial. I actually heard the term zillennial for the first time this week. Am I just behind the times, or is that like a real thing? I assumed it was used to describe both millennials and Gen Z, since we get lumped in a lot. But when I looked it up, it turns out it's really used to describe the people between the cusp between the two generations. Apparently those born between 1993 to 1998, which I barely make the cut. On the cusp of the cusp, if you will. I'm pretty good at being on the cusp of things in life. I really am. I find myself on the cusp a lot. I'm on the cusp between Libra and Scorpio. I'm on the cusp of weighing enough to be able to donate blood. I'm on the cusp between financial security and insecurity. That one's fun. Have I mentioned I'm selling merch? WorkplaceTears.com. No, I always identified more as a Scorpio than a Libra, for sure. I'm not super into astrology or something, or horoscopes. I'm not that knowledgeable about all the things. I have no clue what planets are moving in which direction at any point, and how that may increase or decrease my self-esteem. No clue. All I know is that there is something, and it's in retrograde all the time. And that you can use that to explain your behavior at any point. That's all I know. When I found out I was on the cusp between the Libra and Scorpio, I literally just looked at the symbols between the two. And I was like, yeah, Scorpio. My options were between a scorpion and a metal seesaw that just so happens to be balancing perfectly. It's not realistic. It's bullshit. No, I think the arachnid that bites does a much better job of demonstrating this personality. Does this mean I finally found my spirit animal? That is the second time I've used the word arachnid on this show. I think I've gone through my entire life not using that word. I forgot it even existed. I forgot it was a word. Somehow, just crawled its way in here twice. See what I did there? But yeah, Scorpion makes sense. I've always been what they call strong-willed. But I'm a zillennial, so back then they called it bossy. I didn't live in the era where adults were discouraged from using the word bossy to describe little girls because they were afraid that using that term that does sound negative, does kind of imply negative, would discourage them from leading people or wanting to lead people. But have no fear. Don't worry. Didn't stop me one bit. No, I persevered. Continuing to boss everyone around when I saw disorder and inefficiency. (laughs) Dating back to when I was in preschool. You know, the schooling you pursue before pursuing schooling. Right on the cusp. Between the ages of three and five. So when I was in preschool, our teacher was leading this exercise around Christmas time, making a collage of our Christmas wish list. We could use crayons or crowns. I don't know that debate. I don't think it's still been settled. Or markers and stencils and stamps and I don't know. But they also had some old magazines and we could cut things out to add to our little one page collage. And I know what you might be thinking. They give preschoolers scissors. 
And to be honest, I don't remember how this occurred. I don't remember if we cut them out or we asked the teacher or assistant or whatever. It's been 24 years. It's a little hazy. But what I do know happened was me telling my teacher that I had completed the assignment very quickly, like record time. And I had done what I was told and followed all the rules, because that's another thing about me, in addition to being (laughs) strong-willed, is I've always been crippled to following the rules. I I don't know why, but I get so much anxiety even just thinking about breaking established rules, like even ones that don't make sense. I just cannot do it and have never been able to. To this day, I won't even jaywalk. Seriously. I'm real fun at parties. We had the whole day to do this activity, which most kids would consider fun. Most kids would enjoy that. And I wrapped it up as soon as possible and reported back to my teacher, who then asked to see this wish list collage of mine, of which I showed her a page with only one thing on it. A MasterCard that I had cut out from an ad in one of the magazines and said, and I'm quoting, if I have that, I can get whatever presents I want. A preschool mic drop if I've ever heard of one. This bossy little five-year-old standing there while all the other children have fun working with arts and crafts in the background. I'm like, see, there's a way to accomplish this goal faster and have a better outcome where I can have any toy I want not just what I can fit on my one piece of red construction paper during this class period. This activity is inefficient and ineffective. There's a better way, Barbara. (laughs) My poor teacher. I had to have been so annoying to the adults around me as a child, just marching around telling people what to do and how it could be done better. Classmates too, especially since I was a rule follower. They must have just been sitting there, crisscross applesauce in their little assigned spot on the carpet. Like, can we just clock this bitch? I know what you might be thinking. That's not funny to joke about a preschooler getting hit in the head. And I wasn't laughing too much either when that other preschooler rang my bell. (laughs) Yep, dead serious. This actually happened. When I was in preschool, some other preschooler gave me a minor concussion. And I don't actually remember if it was because I was being bossy or annoying, because, once again, head injury. I just assume that's the reason. Because there had to be some reason. Some kid in my preschool class thought to himself, you know what that girl needs? A swift hit to the head. And he delivered. (laughs) But not with his fist. Because you know what would really thicken this plot? A candle snuffer. Yes, you heard that correctly. A candle snuffer. Used to extinguish residential open flames. Snuffer. A real word. I checked. I want to take this moment to personally thank whoever came up with the word snuffer. I don't know who gets to be word inventors. I'm not sure what those qualifications exactly look like, but... Whoever did this one knocked it out of the park. They, they need a raise. When describing the act of silencing what is a burning flame, 
symbolizing the end of a beginning and a new beginning's end. One could even say humanity. I really want to make sure it conveys that of a Nickelodeon cartoon character. Whoever you are, thank you. Because that really just adds the perfect balance to what could have been a very dark humor storyline. Like, if I would have got hit in the head with brass knuckles, that that would be a tough sell. So I'm fortunate to have been hit in the head with a brass candle snuffer instead. Hashtag blessed. What was a brass candle snuffer doing in my preschool, you might ask? Fair. Well, before it was next to my cranium, it was on the altar. The altar that permanently sat in the classroom. Because it was a Lutheran preschool. Where every day, we sit around the altar for a specified amount of time to learn from the Bible how to be kind to one another. Ironic, yes. And I guess it's incredibly necessary to light a candle beneath blinding fluorescent lights at 9.45 a.m. to deliver this message to kids with blue tongues. Every day. A real candle with an open flame around a group of five-year-olds. But we can't possibly have the teacher just blow out that candle. Wouldn't be safe. That would risk it carrying over and catching something on fire. And more importantly, not look ladylike. No, we cannot present the kids with such danger. We'll mitigate that hazard by using a heavy brass stick with a hat on the end to safely put out the flame, place it next to the candle, and leave it out in the open within a child's reach all day. Problem solved. So here's what happened. Sitting in my little spot on the alphabet carpet. All the kids are sitting in a circle. And across the circle, I notice a kid acting kind of funny. His behavior just seemed like a little strange. So I continued to observe him from afar. He notices. Because he looks at me a few times as he's going about his way. To which I give zero fucks. I just keep watching him. Because he was acting funny. And then, I see him stand up and grab, you guessed it, the candle snuffer. Everyone's favorite party trick. He secures the snuff. It's in his hand. I'm scared. Because I'd never seen someone other than the teacher grab the candle snuffer before. Never. And then, he locks eyes with me. He begins to move in my direction. At this point, my instincts are firing on all cylinders. I begin my attempted escape significantly hindered by the no-running-indoors rule. He continues in my direction. I keep walking. He starts running. I start speed walking. He's closing in on me near the wall with a picture of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, which ultimately was my location of defeat after he hit me in the head with the candle snuffer. And then I started crying because I was five. After that, our teacher immediately comes to my aid, taking me out into the hall near the water fountain, Suddenly, I find myself holding an ice pack with a polar bear on it, still crying, probably a lot. As you know, it's one of my stronger skills. At some point, I'm pretty sure I threw up, and I see the classroom door open. He's in custody. Barb's escorting him over to me, holding him by the ear. Once again, a Lutheran school in the 90s. She's furious. And just like me, 
probably confused and considering what legal doors this may open for us. She demands to explain why he did it, to which he said, I thought it would make her happy. I don't even have a joke for that. I don't even have a response. So here is the teacher's. Turns his head to look at me, tears down my face, and says, Does she look happy to you? And that's why I have trust issues with people holding candle snuffers. So that very long intro brings me to what I really want to talk about this week. Trust. Last week, I specifically mentioned this in the context of employees trusting employers with their time. And using that time in a way that supports their well-being as a human. I want to take it a step above that this week to a broader context. Because the reality is so many of these issues going on in the workplace and great resignation have to do with trust in a lot of different ways. Employees that don't trust employers, employers that don't trust employees, employees that don't trust other employees it can extend a lot of ways. But what does trust really even mean? There's the age-old debate. Is trust given or is it earned? I heard a quote about this one time that I've adopted as my personal philosophy on this, which is, trust is given, mistrust is earned. That makes a lot of sense to me. I'm, when I heard that, I was like, yeah, done. Gonna adopt that for the rest of my life. Because anyone that says you have to earn my trust, it's kind of implying they don't trust humans, that the default state of humans is not good, like selfish and unethical. Which is sad, right? I think we all generally don't think the human race is just born as shitty, evil little spawns. I mean, there were like 19 other kids in my preschool that didn't hit me in the head with a candle snuffer. In fact, they all came to my side after, supporting me. So how does that affect how we trust others? It really comes down to thinking of trust in two different lenses. Cynical? versus skeptical, just very hard to say together. One is healthy, one is not. Cynicism, or just being cynical, is essentially having a default view of humans, being selfish and self-centered and unethical or evil, and that under that pretense, you make decisions with the assumption that a human cannot be trusted on their own. Can you guess which isn't the healthy one? Skepticism, or being skeptical, isn't a default view of humans. Instead, you do inherently trust humans, and what happens will then affect how you make decisions and proceed moving forward when it comes to trusting people. Skepticism is essentially giving people trust because you believe humans aren't born evil, and then using a very scientific approach to adjusting how you get that trust in the future. If someone breaks your trust, that's evidence in building a case to change how you trust them moving forward. Ding, ding, ding. That's the healthy one. It's natural. We use that to process to help us survive and protect ourselves from danger. What isn't natural is to just assume your entire species will kill you, given the chance. So that's the difference. But here's why it's important when we think about work. In order for work to get better and be healthier for all of us, we need to remove cynicism. On the employer side, employers need to shift from taking action 
from a cynical place. Because they do. A lot. Here's a perfect example. When COVID hit and employees had to move to remote for the first time at some of these companies, whether companies liked it or not, the companies that were immediately implementing software and webcams and various ways to monitor, to make sure an employee is actually working and using their mouse or whatever that bullshit was, that action signals they don't trust their employees to be ethical and work. Because they had no prior evidence that showed that would happen. This is the first time they'd ever been left to work remotely. They had no evidence that said they wouldn't. But they still believed they couldn't trust them. That's an action from a cynical place. Cut that shit out. And while you're at it, cut out any practices that pit employees against one another. Because that breeds cynicism as well. When you do that, you're putting your employees in a default state that has to assume everyone's against them. On the other side of this equation, the employee side, but really just the decent human side for today's episode, we can't let ourselves be cynical and become cynical. Because then we all lose. And it's tough right now. It really is. I mean, I literally get on this microphone each week to talk about all the bullshit things all these companies are doing and disgusting ways they're treating our fellow humans. There's no shortage. But here's the thing to remember. Trust is given. Mistrust is earned. Our fellow human beings are not cold. They're not unethical. They're not out to get us. They're not inherently selfish and evil. I think we all feel that. We see that with our friends and neighbors and certain coworkers all the time. And so all the dick moves companies are pulling right now and how they're treating humans is just simply earning our mistrust. And I feel like thinking of it that way helps make it less stark. They are simply showing us that, given the opportunity, they will hit someone in the head with a candle snuffer. But there's 19 other kids that won't. And that's the piece that's getting harder to remember, that we can't lose sight of. Because the American system is so, so heavily influenced by big companies and money, the decisions these shitheads make unfortunately do have very, very, very big ripple effects that we all feel that are painful. Being laid off, not getting a raise, yet having to deal with 9% inflation. The list goes on. We all know it. And it hurts. That's for damn sure. So it can be hard to be optimistic. Because these decisions actually do affect our lives in very meaningful ways. But the people making these decisions are exceptions to the rule. They're cold people. They're sad people. And it would be a shame if we let them make us cold and sad people too. There are more of us decent humans out there than shit ones, I promise. So we've got to find the little victories wherever we can, even if it's hidden in a frustrating place. We have to find that sliver of hope. Here's a perfect example to conclude this episode, and it just so happens to be the Chad Company of the Week as well. Bank of America, who had an internal report leaked like a month ago, prepared by some executive that said, 
We hope conditions for American workers will get worse. And it is my hope for you to go fuck yourself. When I read that a few weeks ago, I was disgusted, as I normally am. But it was just uh, another one of them that just, on top of all the others, they kind of just brought me to this dark place. Like, God damn it, are things ever going to get better? And then I was going through this article and seeing the photos of the multi-page printed report, I realized someone leaked this report on purpose. They, like, printed it out and took photos of it. This wasn't a report that went out to a lot of people. This was, to my knowledge, an executive-level report. And someone on that email list was a care achievement and likely risked their job, probably some legal action or something, I don't know, to make sure people saw how terrible these people are. Now, see, that's something. That's a dark headline. That's a fucking dark as it gets but you know what we read that headline because of a good person and that's a weird way to think about it but i'll take what i can get and it's just like the applebee's letter that went viral probably a handful of months ago now in case you don't know what i'm talking about with that one it's similar but way more disgusting than this bank of america one but it also only saw the light of day because someone leaked it and that says a lot Bank of America may hope conditions for American workers will get worse, but we have to hope conditions for American workers will get better. And they will. Thanks for coming to my TED Talk. Be on the lookout for my inspirational speaking tour this fall. <laughs> just, just kidding. But I had to get this one out there. Gotta provide some light in the wake of this incredible shit show that is the American workplace right now. So that's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Really appreciate it. You can follow on social at Workplace Tears, but that's all I got for this week. I'll see you next week for another episode of I Cry at Work.